Welcome to the Melanin Marvels podcast. We are your hosts. My name is Adrian. And I'm Anika. And I'm Divi. And today's conversation will be centered around X-Men, in particular, the mutant minority metaphor, and some of the parallels and contrasts between Professor X and Magneto with civil rights leaders, Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X. But first, let's start off with a bit of background. Okay, so we're gonna uh, give you a bit of background on X-Men um, and, the, and the way that the, the story kind of developed. Uh, so for the first X-Men title appeared in 1963 when Stan Lee and Jack Kirby were first building up uh, the Ma- Marvel lineup. Um, and, and they decided to create a team of superheroes who were born with super abilities instead of, you know, being bitten by a radioactive spider or, th- or things like this. Um, so, so the original team that they created of that of these superheroes stayed around for a few years, but eventually fell away. Uh, then in 1975, a new cast appeared in the pages of Giant Size X-Men. Um, it was created by Len Wein and Dave Cockrum. Uh, the new X-Men made a splash in the comic industry. Um, and, and it wasn't convi- confined to just one title anymore. It became the X-Men family. So with this X-Men family, they started gaining a real following and started gaining a lot of um, popularity. So what accounted for their popularity? There were there were a few reasons. Um, Part of it was that from the beginning, like a lot of teenage audiences, the mutants are easy to identify with. Um, In the Marvel Universe, mutants are just like everyone else until they hit puberty and they're going through all these emotional and physical changes and like mutant changes and they are connecting with their parents and obviously, you know, um, not with society either. So there is a bit of that um, like a feeling of alienation that a lot of teenagers could identify with. Um, But what we're going to focus on is the mutant minority metaphor, um, which is another important aspect um, and if not like a vital aspect of the series um, of and accounts for a lot of uh, the X-Men series' popularity. So the X-Men series encompass themes of prejudice and bigotry. Uh, So Stan Lee and Jack Kirby stated that the dominant theme of the narrative is to condemn um, prejudice, bigotry. uh, discrimination, things like that. So in the X-Men series, and all the mutants are often hated because they were born different from, from humans. Um, and Stan Lee says that he wanted to spotlight a group of innocent people who were feared and shunned and later hunted and persecuted. And he wanted to show that anyone, no matter how blameless, can be victimized um, in this way. And so Chris Claremont, who later takes on the series, felt the same way and started writing the series um, with the mindset that the X-Men are hated, feared, despised uh, collectively by humanity for no other reason than that that they are mutants. Um, And this, they, they were connecting this mutant identity to minority identities specifically uh, in regards to black civil rights and um, that the entire movement and how black people were being persecuted in that way. So we're gonna dive into that a little deeper. Okay, so with that bit of background into X-Men, I guess I'll throw it to one of you. How do we feel about the mutant minority metaphor, how it plays out? 
Uh, I'll just get started by saying that I can definitely appreciate the connection that creators have done for, I guess, allowing folks who are feeling like a part, who are a part of minorities to, to identify with the struggles that the mutants face. And that's an ongoing sort of narrative that's throughout the entire X-Men series. Um, like, I appreciate it for that. I think the more I think about it, the more it feels like a very rough idea that could use some work or more like intention into it. I think in particular looking into some of the complexities of like being a minority or how the, the sort of metaphor itself sort of brands like all sort of minorities having the same sort of experience of oppression when that isn't the case. And I think that while on one end, I think you could talk about how mutant abilities are sort of displayed and how they're shown while some folks are you know, passing, some aren't. Um, I think it becomes a bit rough when you try to make an exact comparison to, okay, if you're a minority as a someone who is black versus someone who's another part of minority or even like the intersections of minorities as well and talking about that and how that affects someone's lived experience. So I think it's a great idea, but I think more intention and even to this day, being able to find more opportunities to explore that metaphor more, I guess, thoughtfully um, would help it sort of advance the sort of subject line that they're going for. Yeah, I feel because when the when the X Men first came out, it was what the seventies, the eighties, no, 60s? Uh, late sixties, and then revamped in mid seventies. So, in that time period, people were looking at like race as just a black or white issue. Yeah. So, those other people of color were a non-factor. So, if we're comparing it to now, where you have more of that like those issues then where it was either if you were anything other than black or people of color like you would still fit under the umbrella of that and like nowadays they are in the comics and stuff they're giving more like they're shedding more light onto the different characters the same way that in reality those other people of color are like having that light shed onto them and it's the same way as before we were all grouped together as POC, like people of color, and now we are more using the term BIPOC, like B-I-P-O-C, for Black, Indigenous, and other people of color. So we're able to more have more freedom within our umbrella. And I guess in the comics, they're doing that too. You know, oh, two things. Uh... It's interesting that you said that because I think you're like very right in I think during that time if you weren't white you were just kind of like pushed into other and like uh, absorbed at least in North America um, absorbed into like the black population so if you weren't white you were just over here and I think that's like this is this mutant minority is a reflection of that because there is no intersectionality um, also I think and th this is the thing with the X-Men, like they live in a world, like this is an allegorical world. Like they don't even, they don't say anything about the actual civil rights movement. Like they don't like function in like the real world. Whereas other Marvel comic books do, right? Yeah. Um, 
they they reference things that actually happened historically but the x-men series doesn't and 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 th- that's that's interesting because they just focus obviously on 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 what they're facing um but i i, I think that's kind of like not an erasure but you know a, a departure there are disconnects because of that there's disconnects but then on the other hand that could be a reason why people choose to like delve into the world hmm. because it's like a way to forget about the problems that you're actually facing in the world and just like hmm. live the experience of these fictional characters in their mm-hmm. fictional world hmm. yeah i think even in addition to that i mean that's a great point jibby because i think once again intersection it'd be very interesting i don't know when it comes to like historically x-men when folks i guess like when mutants became not mainstream but when folks have been like more openly like mutant but the how that would take into play during like the civil rights movement or during some of these like keyso pieces in history are very cool things that think they've dropped the ball and really exploring because mm-hmm. that in itself like historically if that was a thing i would be interested to know what happens mm-hmm. my grand theory right now is that the only thing that's going to solve like folks when it comes to talk about only thing i think one thing that could solve like people sort of being able to unify is aliens it'd be some sort of like external factor that folks could like identify as the other to sort of connect with and that's mutants that's yeah. legit mutants mm-hmm. so i think it'd be very interesting to explore the how mutants take into play with some of the things that go, have happened and even continue to happen to this day um so there's a bit of a lost opportunity there but i think as you mentioned nika it's almost safer to sort of have like this sort of world where it looks like the world that we live in but you sort of mute some of those pieces that make some readers uncomfortable to mm-hmm. and i mean it's written i feel like when it at least started it 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 is a product of its time shall we say i think that that's one of the main problems that it didn't develop as the world did you know what i mean like those narratives could they could have ga- like gained depth Before we continue, I feel like we should put out some disclaimers. We are going to uh, do a part two of this video later um, that will be addressing the Americanization, the Eurocentricism that is embedded into the X-Men uh, mutant minority metaphor. Um, we'll address that in a later video. I, I think for what they, while it is a product of its time, I I think it's important to highlight that yeah, you know, it could be a story about just like a kid feeling alien alienated. Um but that like the that that minority metaphor, that minority piece, it is in there because of the way minority people are persecuted in North America. So I feel like it's important to highlight that and that's what we're doing today. Um also because aliens, I think that would be like and this has happened in other series like that's like immigration they actually touch on those things but that's for a different time i just want to share that that's going to be a different episode altogether different issue but it's cool like it's i like when they do that i think it 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 especially for bipoc people when like those issues are very i at least for me like it's very personal 
for us. And I like when they put it into that superhero world. An example of that within the X-Men could be Nightcrawler because mm -hmm. he's not American. Mm -hmm. The whole within the mutant, the mutant dome or mutant hood or whatever it's called, how within that, some people have the option of being able to pass as not mutant. So like Nightcrawler cannot. Like Nightcrawler, you look at him, you see he's a mutant. But, Blue tail scales, yeah. But somebody like Xavier or or Jean Grey or um, Rogue or even Storm, they could just pass as just a normal human mm -hmm. when they're not using their powers. I, you know, I always wondered this because okay, so like. Nightcrawler and then Beast, mm -hmm. obviously, like later in the and series. Colossus, Colossus, Colossus. The people that couldn't pass as like normal, um, at least like because Nightcrawler is a very it's a very visual representation of like this is a person who cannot hide their their mutinous. You know, they they can't hide that part of their physical identity. Like I wish. I, I do wish that they like explored that more. I do think that like, cause they had a whole movie, one of the movies, I, it was Days of Future Past, right? Where they were trying to create the serum. Honestly, I can't remember cause I can't keep those movies straight in my head. Okay, so, so yeah, Adrian, I don't know if you wanna <laughs> look I it think up. it is Days of Future Past. Okay, okay. So, so Days of Future Past, the entire premise was that they were trying to create a serum to like, make it so their mutantness wasn't visible and that was the whole theme and i think i think obviously limited i think they did like a good job of like introducing the concept of like passing and like working through it because who was it um what's her name uh the one that can switch switch kitty pride Oh, Mystique, Mystique. Mystique, yeah. So like they were trying to like get her cells so they can like create a thing and so they can hide their mutantness. And I think, I don't know, I mean, I as a minority, there's a part of my life or a long part of my life where I just, I didn't want to be brown because there were a lot of negative things and like hurt and like a lot of things that came with it. And I, I feel like, I don't know, I thought it, it was it was a good depiction they were like going through that. I mean, not wanting to be brown is also very much steeped in your culture mm. with the whole um, fair and lovely yeah. bleaching creams yeah. and stuff. And like not wanting to procreate with somebody darker than you because you want lighter children because we're taught honestly we're taught white is right yeah so it's and just it a very much a part of like the culture mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think like definitely like even outside of like so like i'm sri lankan but even outside this like sri lankan community well they don't know so say it, say it loud and say it proud <laughs> um but so even outside the sri lankan community because here i grew up in a lot of white spaces and like it was all my brownness was always stated like they needed either make fun of it or point it out or something and you're always like you can't and it like you know even with the fair and lovely yeah like sure when i was younger i'm not gonna lie like i used that because i wanted to be fair because that's what pretty was that's what accepted was here 
And so I feel like for them, the like equivalent would be that anecdote or the, 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 whatever, the, not potion, what's it called? Theorem. Theorem, there we go. <laughs> um, to like make themselves appear human. Um, I think you've touched on everything. I think with coming from personal experience, I know within like, Jamaican culture, that's something similar as well. And folks just gravitating to more towards like being lighter in complexion um, and sort of the ostracization of folks who are darker in complexion as well. Um, I feel, and I don't have the words for it right now, but there's a part of me that feels like there is... I think the one thing that it's missing, and I don't expect Marvel to dive into this, is like there is the differentiation between like folks who are who look white versus folks who are like POCs of color in that distinction. Um, and I don't know how the serum would do this, but it's also like the complexity comes to like shadism as well, as you were talking about, which serum wise I don't know how that would really reflect or play into what it talks about or dives into um unless it's the idea of like they're a mutant but they're passing in some certain way as opposed to another but I think there's still a bit of a complexity there because I don't think I've seen within the movies that mutants react to other mutants who are who look different, different. a certain mm -hmm. way mm -hmm. like I don't think I've seen that so that could also be something to potentially explore in a narrative or a storyline or something. But there's a part of me, like, I enjoyed that sort of piece for Beast. Because he was mm. like, usually like the very like intellectual character. It doesn't really step anything phases with him, but also you don't really see his character develop much. So that mm -hmm. whole arc when it comes to like first class and all that, I liked it, especially contrasting him with Mystique and that how yeah. that character arc goes as well. Um, for both of them was very interesting and well done. But I feel like there's there's still something else there that I feel like Marvel could dive into as to um, that could reflect uh, that'd be an equivalent or metaphor for like shadism. Yeah, I mean, I think if there was an actual inclusion of BIPOC people, like, obviously they would be able to attack it more or present it more authentically. Um, but with, you know, I don't know if you remember, but the scene where Beast and... Um, Mystique are talking and he's like you know talking to her about how they're building the serum or whatever and then he says something he says something that like hurts her is something in the vein of like oh like you look the most beautiful when you look like um Jennifer Lawrence like you know pretty blonde whatever white lady and because that was his goal for all of them to reflect that image and I I feel like at one time or another, a BIPOC person has felt that, you know? Like, definitely, because it goes back to the whole, like, you look you look better when your hair's straight. Mm. Like, like, curly hair's not good, like, straight your, straighten your hair, you look better. Or like, oh, you look better without your glasses. Mm. Or like the whole, like, every single teen movie where the girl goes through a transformation, she starts out with curly hair and glasses, and when she becomes pretty, glasses are gone, hair straight. Like, what is that saying to little girls with curly hair and, and bad eyes? Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I remember when I watched that scene, I was like, oh, why? Just 
just because Mystique is like, I mean, I know she's like one of the bad guys, but like she's awesome, like she's badass. And like he was supposed to be like, you know, like in the movie, like falling in love with her. But then he says that and I'm like, oh, oh, I feel like it punched me in the gut, you know? I'm gonna take a bit of an aside here. I don't think it's Gaze of Future's past. <laughs> this is kind of bothering me right now. I think but, it is. Look it up. Also, my, I'm trying to look it up right now. I think it's either, it might be first class. It might be in the first movie. Oh, it might be first class. I think it is first class. <laughs> yeah. You're correct. You are correct. Yes. I was just Googling that. Not Google. I was YouTubing at the side while you were talking. I was like, figure this out. <laughs> you are, we, need to, we need to source this correctly. You are but, correct, sir. Make sure you include this correction because it's true. Okay. Okay. It is. It is. Yeah, that was my bad. Um, I told you, all of these movies, they just go like this in my brain. I, They're all the yeah, yeah, I swear. I mean, I still love them all. <laughs> so one question I have when it comes to um, the metaphor, when it comes to the mutant minority metaphor, do you, do either of you recall like a particular episode or moment? Like, have you talked about like the Beast moment? Were there any other episodes or even comics that you've seen that did a good job of sort of emphasizing this metaphor. Yeah, I don't know, Anika, if you want to go or if you want me. I'm trying to think of. Yeah. I, I think they did a, <laughs> well-meaning white people did a good job. Meaning they couldn't really possibly know what it means to be a minority not really um and with the audience that they were creating for they did what they did it was very apparent to me that this was about like an oppressed group of people but of course there were nuances lost because whatever it is, this is why people tell, like, you know, why people who are part of the dominant group in society telling a story about an oppressed group of society. So, well-meaning white people did what they did with what they had, or let them box themselves in tab. I'm trying to, like, cheat here and look it up. <laughs> I'm seeing the racial politics of the X-Men. Um, all oppression is the same. That's myth number one. Mm. Or myth two is an oppressed group is in some way responsible for its own oppression. Mm. Find that a lot in real life where they're like, well, black people just oppress themselves. <laughs> okay, you know what? So this, I found that a lot too. That it, it there was... And I don't know, we can jump back to like the original point, though. but I, there was like, because the reason, you know, the humans are scared of mutants is because they have powers and they could destroy them. And if we look at history, I think about the Rodney King case. Um, okay, think, yeah. Okay, in LA, Adrian, you're familiar? Okay. So there were like, I think there were six or seven officers that like beat him down. And this this held up in court, what I'm about to say. They said that they were so afraid of like the threat of a black man because 
he was what going to develop human superhuman strength and like take them all out that they needed to like enact that type of violence and this held up in court and I, honestly i look at things like that and this happened time and time and time again time and again in north america and honestly probably around the world as well where black people were viewed as like this the superhuman brutes to justify violence on them and i feel like the way minorities are subject to like violence and um like regulation and things like that and obviously not in the same way but they were, those parallels are there yeah you make a great point there um and great like case example too um generally speaking i think and something that you're touching on as well when it comes to that relationship between humans and um mutants like for sure that contrast and that sort of fear and how that translates um to modern society and like reaction whether it be of like of the police or other sort of oppressive forces that are out there definitely definitely there's this uh, sort of um savagery that's associated mm-hmm. you know um that translates on both ends and I think even that and I keep touching on this where I feel like there are a lot of opportunities to dive into these things so it makes me wonder how I think it makes me wonder now a how intentional it is but also how how much are writers continuing to dive into this metaphor especially if it's something that was like so important in sort of emphasizing in their stories like i know it might be a bit i may be jumping ahead a bit but with intention um i recall i think it might have been like the first movie where they made some parallels with like you know Martin Luther King and Magneto and or Martin Luther King with Professor X Magneto with uh why am I messing this up Magneto with Malcolm X in particular the 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 parallel I'm trying to draw into right now and Magneto had a I think Magneto had like a, a quote or something he said where it's like the human mutant war is coming and i intend to fight it by any means necessary like quote there which you know cool like that was made mm-hmm. with the intention to make that that line there and i think by making it very straightforward as to where things are happening now to this day and how it relates and being very directly in your face about it would help in yeah. making con- those connections more because otherwise there people getting a very like cookie cutter basic perception of what it means to be oppressed um or they're able to sort of dissociate that in thinking okay it's they have powers that's why this is happening you know so that's it when it comes to the metaphor for me on like the yeah. say plus but it's on the man on the other end i'm i'm jumping ahead here but i feel like i had to because i was looking this up and i was like I was, I was kind of shook. Um there was a comic that was out there that did an interesting I guess like par- tried to do an interesting parallel between like mutants and like race. So this was in uh, 1982's X-Men God Loves Man Kills. Hmm. Um in the issue um in the issue it revolved around Kitty Pride 
and Kitty was like beating up a kid in her like ballet class for insulting mutants. And they used like a derogatory term for mutants at the time. Um, a black woman approached her. I can't remember if it was like a teacher or I think it might've been a, a ballet teacher. Approached her and said, you know, like it's just a word in which Katie, Kitty Pride responded by using the N word. And oh my god! Well, like, I, I, it was fully printed. I'm pretty sure I could throw you show you the picture. I'm gonna say I'll have we'll have the, a link to the photo in our video in some way. Here you go. Oh my god! Hard er. That hard R indeed. So. Like, there's a piece here, and I think there was, like, a response here as well, right? And so this is what happened. I think it was, like, Kitty's parents talking to the ballet teacher. And, um, yeah. And I think how it's, it's weird, because, like, I see what they're trying to do here. I see what they're trying to do. And I think in itself, when you have a comic that tries to go into making this sort of like mutant metaphor, but then has someone who is white sort of like have, try to make that parallel themselves, I, I see what they're trying to do, but it almost acts like you're taking like a, a, a shuffle forward, but then like leaping back a couple decades in execution. Um, and forgetting like the history itself, like what type of what you're triggering to your readers in doing that, but then trying to have Kitty Pride to like, oh, this is how I feel, this is how I'm feeling oppressed, but then oppressing your readers, oppressing your colored readers. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. so that it, it's things like this that I observe or I, I, I could see here where I don't know. I think it's like a huge problem and not being like very intentional and mindful about how you're having these conversations, whether it be you're neglecting it or you're trying to spark the dialogue for it, but then do it poorly, i.e. here. And I feel like from what I've heard, I'll edit this out if I can't find the proof for it. But I feel like this isn't the only time that Kitty has used the N-word, at least in, in this art, in this comic, potentially. I'll edit that out if I'm wrong, but that you know was I kind of think this speaks to, we touched on this like last episode as well, like the invisibility of whiteness. They don't consider like, like, you know, like white is neutral so they can do whatever they want. Like they can identify with an oppressed group because you can do whatever with a white identity. You know what I mean? Like, whereas obviously we now know that like cultural identities there is the, that those have meaning and like this obviously i don't know i feel like if there were black people in that writer's room this would not have happened with the little white girls in this to i'm i'm mad confused because kitty pride legit has done this multiple times oh really into it now yes marvel first of all why are you throwing this little girl under the bus like that making her the one to say it all the time and why are you making somebody say it all the time? What? <laughs> Where white people are just itching to say that word whenever they can. I swear to God. So I think, I, 
I keep saying this. I keep saying this, but I feel like I need to say it. Where it is important, like I think one end having the intention to have this sort of conversation, just in general, when it comes to this metaphor, is like a great step. But without actively doing the research as writers and creating these stories, it's almost irresponsible to put yourself out there as trying to have these sort of conversations or parallels without understanding the like nuance on one point, but also the complexities. No, it. it is. It is. It is definitively irresponsible. But um, I, I feel like we'll touch on that, like you know, when we talk about the wife and stuff at all as well. Um, do you think, because now like we kind of like talked about the like writers as well and the intention, the intentions when they're creating these things, because, you know, obviously there's a difference between like the X-Men and then Magneto's um, group. Brotherhood uh, of Mutants. Yeah, yeah. Do you, like, because you, I was looking at that and they very much obviously obviously there's there's um they want you to support like you know because uh professor x this whole thing is like integration like he wants peaceful blah 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 that's great oh, and of course that is great that's good uh, <laughs> but the the way they write all the mutants that are on magneto's side it's like as if because and i, and I think this we saw this even in today's world where the white narrative is that oh all these oppressed people are going to react violently and that's how magneto and his people are depicted do you think like what do you what do you think about that that they that they wrote those mutants as reacting violently well cuz Magneto is based on Malcolm X, right? And like everybody always looks at Malcolm as the more violent one and Martin as the peacekeeper. Where Malcolm's like by any means necessary, like use use what force you need to because they're going to be using force against you. So I guess they're just trying to they're trying to depict that through there. Well, also, like, I kind of, like, that's very much an essentialization of Malcolm X, because, like, sure, you know, for him it was by any means or necessary, but that wasn't all he was, and that wasn't all he was preaching. And I, I feel yeah, like, like... I definitely feel like, for both of them, everything is very generalized and, like, sensationalized, because mm-hmm. most of the people who are like, oh... Martin Luther King, if he was still alive today and he were doing this, a lot of people would be against him. Yeah. Uh, these same people who would be wearing his his face on their shirts and sweaters and be making posts, if you were alive the same time as him, you probably would not be a supporter of him. Or Goddamn colonizers. Or even same way for like for Malcolm X, a lot of people were like, oh, X, X and mm-hmm. stuff like you You probably would not have liked him. Hmm. I, I kind of like I was thinking about this in terms of so let's just even look at like one of the movies I think probably was the first one where like everybody was like Magneto's trying to kill all humans and this that and the other um, the uproar that that receives I kind of look at it you know when all the protests were happening um, 
after uh, George Floyd's passing. Mm-hmm. All, you know, and then there the media focused on the riots, which, like, I looked into it. There, the 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 there were it was only six percent of 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 what was going on that was riots, and the rest, like the ninety four percent, was protests. But the mm-hmm. media made it seem like the dominant, yeah, and the media made it seem like the 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 dominant, the like the prominent, the the most um, like the 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 single reaction from uh, black people was that they were being violent and ruining all these businesses. But it was a very very small portion, and wasn't even um, like um, mostly black people that were even in that in that six percent of riots. So I feel like the attention like you do know do you know what i'm trying to say like they're saying that this is how minority people will react when in all reality that is not the case not even when we saw because most of it was protests and most of it is like even in the x-men story integration but they're focusing on this is how if you keep doing this to minority people they're gonna fuck you up but that's not historically and even in the movies it's not entirely the case or even it's also like the whole spin of the story where because like if you're going to compare it to to what we're dealing with now a lot of people feel like if you say black lives matter indigenous lives matter that means that the other lives don't matter so it's like if you're saying like you stand up for something then it's like you're saying kill all of those other people like no we're just trying to get our like we're supposed we're we're just trying to get our recognition and what we deserve yeah not like take away or like the same thing like with the whole defund the police thing it's not that the police are not going to be getting any money anymore like the police still are going to to get money to function in the way they should it's just that they're saying that these other things need funding and don't give all the funding to the police I, i feel like the like like oppressors, whether it be in the mutant world or even our world, there mm-hmm. is a thought that like they think if um, because they have violated the oppressed, that the oppressed are going to react to them in that same way. But the oppressed don't want to use the tools of the oppressors, and they don't understand that. I feel like even in the movie they depict like. Magneto and the rest of them like so evil but that's not how oppressed people like historically realistically react of course yes of course we're angry but we're not trying to be like our oppressors exactly like if you use the example of Kansas indigenous people obviously mm-hmm. the white people were the oppressors and they came and killed the people they dragged from the homes and stuff well now that the indigenous like want their land back like they could go in in grand mass and just annihilate the white people, especially those people who are around their area, their reserves, but they don't because they don't want to, to stoop so low as to these people. They just want what is deserved of them. Mm-hmm. And like that thing I sent you earlier, like it is more than likely, it's like they can get their land back. Indigenous people can get their land back without us, the rest of us and all the, the colonizers without them having to like give up anything and and that's just the thing i i feel like you minority people are almost demonized in these narratives 
for like resisting and trying to get some basic human respect and rights um, and i i think i think it's intentional that that's written in that way you know what i mean it's intentional that we are demonizing these mutants because if they are a parallel of the minority people we are then like i mean we see it all the time that minority people are demonized for just asking for their basic human rights i think that in that i think the problem with that is you're also trying to combine like this metaphor and these um not ideologies but these ideas are a, a ways of resisting let's say hmm. trying to match that up with a narrative like a, a legit like a superhero good guy bad guy there are two extremes in this situation and i feel like the one thing that gets lost the one thing that gets lost though is that you have like these two different sort of like frameworks that these mutants are are executing going at and you just have magneto here that who is like the bad guy who is seeing while wow, mutants are being oppressed etc but there's like a lack of complexity in his and how he's depicted because it's easy like you look at the brotherhood and like they have clearly evil people doing bad things while also trying to resist like if it was on the side where it was a bit more complex in the divisions mm. sure i don't think necessarily that it was this i don't think personally that it was the intention of the writers to make minority resistance look like that but more so it comes off that way because there's a lack of consideration as to what that looks like if you have it drawn in with such extremes of being oh this is the good side this is the bad side in its execution mm. so that's my main sort of like feeling about that yeah you know they i i it's something because if we really think about it like because you know obviously like they're bad guys and like you know Magneto and the brotherhood they do bad things like like you said but if we think about it obviously like the X-Men and the brotherhood they're two sides of the resistance but the bad guy are is like the humans or at least the the bad humans yeah like the discrimination by yeah which is big yeah Yeah. The ones that want to get rid of mutants, the good ones and the bad ones. You're exactly. mutants, so. Yeah. But then, you you know what? You because I I I do I do think you're right, Adrian. I think a lot of it because so many things are left out, and it's not there's no nuances in it that it comes off as they're framing part of the resistance as evil. I I I I kind of because. they kind of presented as integration as one thing and then like we'll say violence yeah no no actually they they presented as integration as one thing and then like like um mutant pride is another thing as if those things cannot interact do you know what i mean 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, or like the executioner, like showcasing mutant pride is shown as Fine. blowing up shit and yeah. um, resisting in that way, where mm-hmm. but to get more complexities there, and it's it's unfortunate that you have such a metaphor with a lot of potential, sort of drawn off to be okay, like good side, bad side, problematic side, and positive side. To the point that you are rooting for the people or you're against the people who are still being oppressed who are still you know have a good point at at times that depending on the narrative but yeah and it's like shaping minds off that way too it's it's unfortunate or maybe this could maybe be like a end of podcast question but what i wanted to throw out there is in us acknowledging some of these pieces what how do we how would we fix it like if we were able to have a seat in the writer's room what would we be recommending in order to um voice some of the complexities of the minority metaphor and then also other pieces um that have been missing in the franchise to properly depict um what they've attempted to to put out there with x-men I think they need BIPOC X-Men, first of all. Like more. Which they they've been they've been yeah. doing more. Yeah. But just like using them. Cause mm-hmm. I find a lot of a lot of the times they get relegated to become background characters. Mm-hmm. Because even Storm is like such a strong character, but mm-hmm. she has been relegated to become a background character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As well as you need to stay true to a character's characteristics, because mm-hmm. I feel like they've hugely whitewashed Storm. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yes. If you yeah. look at her before and you compare her to right now in the current run of like Marauders and stuff, she's so pale. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, she's mm-hmm. lost all her melanin. <laughs> yeah, and I think like obviously we'll dive deeper into that in her in our part two but I think that is that is like because these mutants as oppressed people you are losing like those nuances when you erase like a racialized identity you know what I mean I think those racialized identity would help like make that narrative more like uh direct and um like understandable yeah, like for example, some of the of the few BIPOC characters that they do have, a lot of them are like from I think Sunspot is from Brazil, mm-hmm. and then um, Forge is actually indigenous, mm-hmm. and then Storm is African. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of times they kind of erase that part of them. So you yeah. just think that like Storm is just American, yeah, because like yeah, her her mother. Her father, I think, was an American photojournalist, but her mother was African, and like, I'm not sure if she was born in Africa, but like, she was raised in Africa. She was orphaned in Africa, and she was found and recruited for the X-Men in Africa. But like, they kind of like erased that part. Mm-hmm. And I feel like even for those other ones, like Sunspot and and Forge, you just know about them, and like, okay, like they might be like a little darker, but that is a characteristic of them that you should highlight 
not just make it seem like oh we're one big happy family like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah Adrian, I don't know if you have a sort of like an answer to your own question, but <laughs> I haven't heard like a lot of like mutant resistant or mutant stories outside of like an X-Men context, but even just like another group of mutants doing mm. their thing and just approaching it in a different way as well and not be and just being aware of the role of whether it be race or sexual orientation or one's own like ability um all those pieces being integrated there as well and weaving in minorities in this sort of minority story that you're trying to depict i think are very important and doing it thoughtfully So the depiction in this mutant minority metaphor, and because they're they're framing it as a uh, as a movie about resistance, you know, and and uh, the oppressed minority experience, uh, they use Professor X as, shall we say, a stand-in for uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, you know, his whole thing is about safely integrating the mutants into human society. Um, He also, you know, I think, because if you look at the work that um, Dr. King did, he was involved with, I feel like dominant society, we hear the highlights and, you know, the speech and the way he was killed and things like this, we hear these things, but his work, he was involved with youth youth groups and different groups. And like that day, even when he gave his speech, you know, there were a lot of like youth and, and other people giving speeches as well that he was connected to. And I think they do depict that through Professor X because he is trying to provide safe spaces. He is trying to, um, uh, like encourage the mutant youth to, you know, obviously train their, like train as in like hone their abilities, um, and also be okay with themselves. Uh, Obviously, you know, the narrative does have a few, few problems, but, but I, I, I think that depiction, it wasn't as problematic as Magneto's, like, uh, stand as a stand for Malcolm X is what I'll say. Yeah. Um, so off the bat, for me, I think that the comparisons, as you kind of alluded to, Divi, um, and there's like a, I encourage folks to just like dive in and see like the work that's out there. Um, but it seems just like very basic at best, where mm-hmm. it's like the most that Professor X has is the idea of like integration and it's yeah. like very basic at that because looking into um, Martin Luther King Jr. and I'll preface, preface this by saying like I could do a lot more work into a lot of things that he's done historically so this is based off of my limited understanding um, but he also challenged like the way that society was going and like was very intentional about like being a part of being collaborating with other thought leaders and challenging just the way that society worked and it comes to his treatment of black people. Professor X, limited in my understanding of him too, but for the most part, he trains these mutants, he encourages integration. I think as Anika mentioned at some point, um, sort of like the silencing of like your identity within while you're out there. And that just doesn't seem like 
he's like um mlk's talk has done that mm. anything he says against that sort of portrayal so and then even on like magneto's end the only thing he really has going for it is the idea of the use of violence but even when it comes to their reasons for using violence is different magneto to make a statement and to sort of force the hand of mutants being able to have power in society as being stronger beings. While Malcolm X, like he had a quote here that was like, be peaceful, be courteous, obey the law, respect everyone, pause. Magneto isn't about that by <laughs> any means, but let me continue. But if someone puts his hand on you, send him to the grave, mm. there is, the extreme mm. there but even with that and with Malcolm X's approach it's more complex than just wanting to be violent by any means necessary execution so I I'm not the biggest fan of the of the comparison because it's just not very well thought out I think if any it's a bit of a stretch for me personally in sort of drawing that within those characters and um be civil rights leader. That's it. You know, because I, I actually agree with you. I, I don't know that I would say it's a stretch. I think I would say it's an essentialization of both characters. Mm -hmm. Because you're right. Like, Dr. King did stand for so much more and he questioned the structures of society. And, like, he advocated for black pride. Professor X wants all the mutants to be quiet. And I, I kind of feel like people are okay with minorities as long as they play the role of quiet, polite, obey the white man's rules. You know what? You're right. Hmm. People, okay. It's like in, in class, my professor, like, you know, I had the whole problem of like that racist person in class. So the professor is like, Canada is not void of racism. It's just that we have racism with a smile. And as long as you assimilate, then everything is okay. Like you can have, you can have your, your, your cultural pride within certain like moments, but not without of that. So mm -hmm. without, like you can have your, your like one day to celebrate your cultural thing but then outside of that if you don't assimilate it's a problem yeah yeah and that's very much what Xavier is about like just like okay hush up like assimilate to how they are and we'll be fine like you can be mutant all you want here on these premises of this of my school but once you go out there like assimilate which is so damaging so damaging yes. yeah I feel like they, because of their essentialization, you know, okay, they're trying to match it to this historical figure. But in, in, in that, I feel like these are the nuances that they don't get. They don't think that assimilation is an issue. You know, these white writers, it's like they, they want they our view. music, they want our food, but they don't want us to speak or think or, you know? Yeah, because they view assimilation as like a good thing. Like, okay, like they've, they, they're like us, they're, they've assimilated they are true Americans, they're true Canadians now, like they're accepting us, like they, they fit in. Mm -hmm. So like now that you fit in, like everything's Gucci. 
yeah everything's good mm-hmm. but it's like the problem is if you assimilate that is the problem you want yeah. to be able to appreciate the culture that you're coming into, like this new land and take up citizenship or whatever, but you don't want to lose what you've brought over. And also, even for people born here, like, you know, I, I even though Professor X is like training them and, you know, telling them, oh, it's okay, you're a mutant, this, that, and the other, I feel like he's still, the way he does it, and because of his like whole, like, really like assimilation like thing i feel like he he like having mutant powers is still a curse rather than a gift and i feel like for minority people the the like assimilation is like as if your melanin is a curse as opposed like we should be proud of our skin you know we should be proud of our cultural identities be proud of your skin be proud of like the language your mother tongue that you speak mm -hmm. be Mm -hmm. proud of the different foods that you eat Mm -hmm. Like, it is so disheartening to see people come and they just give up their homeland foods and give up stuff and they just want to eat burgers and fries all the time. <laughs> that's, that's not a shade thrown at you. <laughs> Continue eating your fries. <laughs> no this potatoes, okay? That's not the problem, <laughs> No, but it's like how you, yeah. you have flavorful seasoned food yeah. and you choose to turn your back on that or like you know I mean I know we were focusing on, on, on Professor X but they do the same thing to Magneto right they essentialize him as like a violent character saying uh, and, and I think that's what is uh, dramatized about Malcolm X nobody ever talks about the rest of his work or his teachings Honestly, and we go back to this like all the time. This is why there needs to be BIPOC people, especially if they're writing about the civil rights movement. If they're writing about that, there should be black people in that room because a white person understanding this period of time and everything that follows is a very different thing than a black person understanding and living that. So how, you know, they can't create, they can't, it makes me mad. I'm glad that these, these depictions exist because those stories are important but they could be so much better and done with in such a more nuanced way if there was actual black people in that room and the thing is i feel personally that if a person is a true ally and like yes. so obviously like white people can they can be an ally and and be all for the whatever but if you are a true ally and you are in a position like that you should be like well you know sir or or ma'am i i know somebody who's actually bipoc who do an amazing job at writing this story because they have the lived experience yes yes there's room for us all as what what was her name said like a seat at the table there's a seat at the table for us all that is real allyship yes i agree Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so that ends our part one on the mutant minority metaphor. Just so everyone knows, we will eventually be doing a part two. Uh, So comment down below about what you liked about this conversation, anything you either want to discuss more or any other aspects of the mutant minority metaphor that you want us to address in part two, let us know. Also, can I just want to shout out Anika's background because it looks awesome. Okay, good. Yeah. 
um so thank you for joining us we hope you liked our discussion and have a lovely day everyone okay interested in continuing the conversation feel free to add us on at the melanin marvels on instagram